Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
good morning. It's good to be in our Lord's house this morning as we begin to worship. to you. Good to see you this morning. What a good looking group we've got here today and I know that we've got a good group uh, worshiping with us online as well. Uh, it is good to see you and I hope all is well with you and your family. No real big announcements uh, to make. Uh, we're still in this kind of uh, crazy uh, COVID uh, time so there's not a whole lot of activities uh, going on but a few things to, to call your attention to. One, our deacons, we're going to try to meet that first Sunday uh, in September. I know that uh, that's uh, kind of a holiday weekend, but we're going to go ahead and try to, uh, to meet for a few minutes after the worship service that Sunday morning. So do make note of that. Uh, again, you can give, uh, there's the offering box on the uh, fellowship table out, uh, out there. There's also uh, the deacons that have... Uh, uh, plates at the end of the service if you want to give. If you want to go, you can give online, send it in. Uh, we'll uh, get it at the post office this week. However you want to do that, we'll make it work for you. Just a reminder to that. Uh, and in a moment, we'll have a prayer and thank God for the offerings and ask God to use those 
uh, to his glory. But another prayer concern that we have this morning, I want to lift up Debbie and Richie Hutchison. Uh, Debbie uh, has just been a tenacious fighter. Uh, she continues to uh, be strong and uh, she's, uh, bless her heart, I don't think she's eaten uh, for 31 days now. And uh, she's, she's hanging in there and the family just covets your prayers. And I know that y'all have done so much for them, but just, just keep praying for them every day. Well, let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue our worship time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning uh, for your love and grace. We thank you for the privilege of being here in your house, uh, Lord, to be gathered around uh, in the spirit, even online, Lord, to worship and glorify you. Lord, this morning we pray for the offerings that have come in, the offerings given today, the offerings that come in this week. Again, we thank you for all the, uh, the gifts that are given uh, in faith, Lord, to the ministry and to your work. And Lord, we pray that we're faithful stewards of all things that you provide and give. And Lord, we uh, just ask you to bless it to the kingdom work uh, that you have for us to do. And Lord, we also pray this morning for Debbie and Richie. Uh, I know that Debbie has been such a tenacious and, and tough fighter. And, and Lord, that uh, she uh, grows weaker each day and it's, it's just getting harder each day. But we know your divine hand is at work and there's a, a purpose behind everything. And Lord, that your grace truly is sufficient just to undergird the family uh, and let them know that they're remembered and thought about and prayed for each and every day. Lord, we pray for Brian and his family as they make their way back from vacation this week. We pray they've had a blessed time together uh, and uh, have renewed themselves uh, for your work and for your purpose. We thank you for Keith today that's leading us in worship. We pray for him and for our praise band uh, as they lead us in worship. And Lord, today all things we do in this house your house, let it be to your glory, to your honor. In your name, Jesus, amen. I ask you to stand.
Great is your love and justice, God of Jacob. You use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. so true to us. Thank you for the time that we could gather together this morning and worship, worship you in song. And I lift up Brother Chris as he brings our message this morning. Just give him the words and the power that you have for him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keith, again for leading our worship for us this morning. Take your Bible uh, this morning and open it to Romans chapter 1 and in just a little bit uh, we're going to be there we're going to look at a, our, our key passage first but then we'll read the the fuller the fuller text of that uh, in a little bit later uh, verses 18 through 32 we've been in our series the God questions the tough questions of God for uh, the last several weeks we've looked at that big question, is God real? And we answered it. And then we looked at that question, the what of evil. If God is good, then why is there evil in this world? And we answered that question. We looked at the question concerning hell. We said, uh, if God is a loving God, how could he send people uh, to a place called hell? And we answered that and said, uh, we need to understand that, yes, God is loving, but he's also a holy God. 
And then we looked at the last time we were together, the, that question of suffering. Why me, God? Uh, that relates to our faith in God. When we're going through the hard times, um, you know, and, and times of suffering, uh, we begin to ask God why. And that's a, that's a big question of the Bible. Today's topic uh, is uh, a little bit uh, off of what you might would say uh, are the apologetic questions of the Bible in a sense. But it is a question that is a question that is very much in the forefront today in the Christian faith. And so our topic this morning is what should our biblical worldview uh, be of same-sex marriage? Now, with that said, I want to give you the key passage this morning, and that's uh, Romans chapter 1 and in verse 26 through uh, verse 27. And Paul tells us, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. We're going to find today that uh, Paul, in writing Romans, ties uh, the act of homosexuality, what we're going to talk about is same-sex uh, unions, to rebellion and unbelief. National statistics reveal that one-third of all intersection crashes uh, in the United States happen at stop signs. There are approximately some 700,000 crashes annually every year at stop signs. Some 40% of all fatalities happen at intersections with stop signs. Now you might ask the question, what does this have to do with our sermon topic today? Well, I believe, and I think that I'll be able to show you this morning, that we as a nation are getting ready, if we have not already done so, run through the stop sign of God's moral word and God's moral law, and that has put us as a nation and as people in grave danger. So I want to think with you this morning this subject, what should our biblical worldview of same-sex marriage or unions be? And let me just say, dear friends, that evangelical Christians in the United States now face what I would call an inevitable moment of decision. Same-sex unions now present evangelicals, particularly those of us in the United States, with a decision that can no longer be avoided. Dr. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, recently said this and wrote this, within a very short time, we will know where everyone stands on this question. There will be no place to hide. There will be no way to remain silent. To be silent will be to answer the question. And the question is this, whether evangelicals will remain true to the teachings of Scripture and the unbroken teaching of the Christian church for over 2,000 years on the morality of the same-sex union and the institution of marriage. There it is, the big question for us today. What does the Bible say 
in regards to this issue. What is the teachings, the true teachings of Scripture? And how has the unbroken teaching of the church been wrong for some 2,000 years? Is, is now the time that we need to change what the church has said and stood for for over 2,000 years? And I want to say there's a lot riding on this question, particularly for us as Christians, how we answer that question. While America and the culture of our world is blowing right through the stop sign of God's Word, I would say to you and I that as Christians, we need to hold the line. And if we need to hold the line, we need to know why we're holding the line and why we're fighting that fight. We as Christians need to be clear about the Bible and any warnings the Bible gives. And, and we need to understand that when God speaks of this in His Word, that He is speaking of it in a very negative way. He calls it, and we're going to see this morning, an abomination. I believe biblical Christianity is the final wall that stands to there being any resistance and pushback on this issue whatsoever. And if Christians fail and fall, then dear friend, there will be no pushback on this, what God has called in his word, a evil, a perversion, an abomination. Furthermore, this topic is one that we must discuss today in open. The church can't bow its head and say, well, you know, this is an unpleasant subject, or this is a subject we'd rather not discuss in the context of little ears. Today, there are four uh, states that currently require that LGBT and Q history be taught in elementary school. California, New Jersey, Colorado, and Illinois. And you say, well, what does that have to do with Tennessee? What does that have to do with us if we're not one of those states? Well, your states, your county, your city buys textbooks. And I'll tell you, the largest school system is California school system. And if you're a textbook writer, you're going to write a textbook that will be able to be sold at least to the biggest school system that is in the nation. Now you've got four schools, uh, four states that make up that uh, 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 belief and demand that a textbook of history for elementary school kids have that topic in it. And if you're sitting there and you're a school board and you're meeting about budgetary uh, issues, you're going to want to buy what? The cheapest textbook that's out there, and that's going to be the one that's mass-produced for all school systems. And in other words, even though it may not be something that your school board would want, it could end up in the textbook that your child has just because it happens to be the cheaper textbook that they can afford. And then it's up to whatever teacher and whatever child would want to read that chapter and what it has to say. So I'm going to say to you this morning that your children are going to hear this message. And if they don't find it in a textbook, they're probably going to tune on to Disney and they're going to see it on the Disney Channel. So the question isn't whether or not they're going to hear it. The question is, where are they going to hear it and how are they going to hear it? And I believe there's no better place than for us as a church to say, here's what God's Word says on this particular subject 
and topic. And so the time for silence, the time for discretion is over. I want to give you three big objectives in the message this morning. And let me just say, we got a lot of material to cover. This is a big topic, and there's really no way to break it out. I thought about trying to break it out into two messages, perhaps three, but to do so would not would lose the continuity of the singular message that I think God wants for us to have. And so I want to give you three big objectives this morning, and these are long, so just listen to them. Number one, can we answer the question beyond any reasonable doubt that same-sex marriage or homosexual relationships are indeed sinful and wrong according, now listen, to the Word of God? Can we, can we say beyond any reasonable doubt it is wrong, it is sin? Number two, what is our response to be as a Christian to our friends, to our families, or our foes who are living in a same-sex relationship or those who would support same-sex unions? How are we to respond to those in our society that feel maybe differently than we do? And then number three, do we understand the, the battle that's being waged, the uh, the war that's being fought against Scripture, against the church, and against Christians when it comes to same-sex ma- marriage. What is the battle being fought against God? Do we, is there a bigger picture that we need to see that's being played out? And I believe that there is. Now let me also say this morning, in context of those three goals that I believe that there are also going to be three different categories of people who hear the message today, both here and online, and I want to give those to you. There will be those who have already made their mind up on this topic. They're only interested in how the Bible may back them up on their opinion as to this being right or wrong. Their mind is already made up, and they only see it one way, and all they want to hear is it their way? Number two, there are those who are open to genuine biblical worldview. They're willing to trust whatever God would say in his word about this life behavior choice. It is the idea of Proverbs 14, verse 15, the prudent gives thought to his steps. Then a third listener would be in this group. They are those who desperately seek the Bible and the church and the preacher to say something that is affirming and that will cling to any position that will justify a pro-homosexual or a pro-same-sex life choice. When I was thinking about those three different listeners that, that we would come across in any kind of message like this, I would say that those three could be summed up in three words. There's the prejudice, there's the prudent, and then there's the perverted. And that's going to be the choice for us today. Are we just simply going to be prejudiced and we're going to have our own opinion? We don't care uh, what any other other opinion might be. And we're just looking for God's word to agree with us. Or are we going to be prudent and say that we're open to to listening uh, to to, to what's going on in people's lives and what God has to say to them and let God lead us? Or are we going to perhaps be perverted and just simply say that we're willing to take Uh, the Bible and twist it so that it will go along with our message. Now I'm going to tell you in confession that before I really got here this week in this last couple weeks with this I I would have to say that I I was a one. I had a prejudice in my own uh, uh, 
idea about this. I, I always uh, was raised to think that this is, this is wrong and that this is not right. Um, and I knew the Bible said a few things, but I didn't understand the, what the Bible said in totality about it. I have never been a three. I don't believe I'll ever be a three and believe that it is right and that the Bible says it is right. But I will tell you that I have truly prayed and, and, and pushed myself this week to be what I call a number two, a prudent student of God's Word. God, what do you say and what do you have to say to me about this particular issue? And if you ask me where do you need to be, I would say I think that's where you need to be. And I think as Christians, that's where we need to push ourselves to be. When we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus and we come to his cross and we are told to die to ourselves and to take up his cross and follow him. And that means Jesus is to be Lord over our life and that Jesus gets to be the final authority over our life in everything. And sometimes there are things in our life by which we're prejudiced against. We've already made our mind up that God says, no, I want you to give that to me. Now, he may end up agreeing with where you're at. And I think you're going to see that this morning with me. But I want to be God-led in that and not Chris-led in where I'm at. And I want to challenge you to that. So that's the subject for us today. Number one, this first question for us this morning is this. Can we answer beyond a reasonable doubt that same-sex marriage and homosexual relationships are indeed sinful and they're wrong according to the Word of God. In other words, is it a problem? And I want to say to you this morning, yes. Let me give you three ways in which I believe the Bible says that this life choice, this life behavior is a problem. Number one, homosexuality is a sinful problem. The Bible without stutter, stammer, equivocation, or hesitation does not back up, uh, does not run away from, but clearly states that homosexuality is a problem. We're going to look at several passages. I want you to look with me, first of all, over in Leviticus, Leviticus 18 and in verse 22. Now, this is part of the holiness code. This is part of the holiness code, code that Moses gave to the people uh, to follow. Now, while some of the holiness code does not apply to us today because it has been fulfilled through Christ, and we are living under a different uh, uh, set of grace laws, so to speak, in the way that we connect with God in our worship, even though some things don't apply today that are in the Old Testament, some things do, still do very much apply as far as God in the way that He views it and looks at it. And one of the things is this issue. In verse 22, and uh, God says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, for it is an abomination. Now listen to 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 6 and verses 9 through 12. He says here, Or do you not know, this is Paul, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, do, you, do not be deceived, neither the sexual immor, uh, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, or greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, uh, revelers, uh, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, 
but you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. I want you to notice that very clearly Paul calls homosexuality a sin and a sin, now listen, that is if it's unrepented of, in other words, you've not come to God and you've not turned away from it, is a sin in which will definitely, like other sins do, keep you out of heaven. If you don't confess your sin, repent of your sin, you cannot trust in Christ. But I will also say this, that in this passage, Paul says that there were some who struggled in this behavior. And he said, but you were saved. You've been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And I want to point that out because we're going to talk about in a little bit whether or not someone uh, can uh, find a life uh, that is struggling with this, uh, find uh, a hope. And I want you just to keep that verse in mind. Now let's go back to Romans 1, and let's look at verses 18 through 32, and let's look at the fuller writing of what Paul is saying as he's talking about unbelief and bad behavior uh, that uh, is rebellion against God. And so he says in verse 18, Now the wrath of God, that is the judgment of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So it doesn't matter what sin you're sinning, if you're an ungodly sinner, God has nothing but judgment for you. And the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Underscore that. One of the things that's happening today is the suppression of the truth of what God has to say about sin. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God is making it clear here. I have been very clear as to what is sin and what is right, what is acceptable and what is wrong. What has been made known is plain because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and now underscore this divine nature. That means his holiness has been made known and having been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world, in other words, God says from the very beginning of time, the first heartbeat of man, this has been out there, uh, my holiness, what I expect, who I am. He said, the world has known it. In the things that have been made so that they are now, listen, without excuse. There's no excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they, they worshiped the creation rather than the creator. They came about all that they want to do on earth and not what God wants done from heaven. Therefore, Paul tells us, God gave them up in their lust of their hearts, underscore lust of their hearts, that's the sin we're talking about here this morning, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Now you ask me, what is the sin of homosexuality? And there's, there's several things about it. We're gonna talk about the natural order of things that's part of it. But the biggest sin of homosexuality is this. It is an act of worship, dear friend. 
It is choosing to worship the, 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 the creation, what man wants, and, and, and man's fault of life, rather than worshiping God. That's the big sin of it. it it's, it's idol worship. Now, for this reason, a second time, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And we're told, for their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to, na- uh, to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women, uh, consuming with passion for one another. Again, their lust just took over. And anything that felt good was okay with them. Didn't matter what God had to say on it. And God said, look, they committed shameless acts, and they are now receiving in themselves the due penalty of their era. Their era. In other words, they're suffering now. There is judgment going on right now in the very things that they're doing. Not a judgment to come, but a judgment that is being poured out right now. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, there it is, not to worship God, honor God, then God a third time gave them up, gave them over to the base mind to do what ought not be done, and they were filled with all manner and unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, uh, faithless, uh, faithless uh, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. That's the sin in our culture today. Though the world knows that God says this is a thou shalt not, it is today giving approval to what God calls as sin. Believe it or not, today one of the major arguments to accept same-sex union is unfortunately Scripture itself. There are those today that have twisted Scripture and say that Scripture actually encourages it or accepts it. But I want to be clear. The Bible does not in any place or anywhere accept homosexual, same-sex relationship. Scripture can be denied. Scripture can be changed. But Scripture says what Scripture says. There's one lesson from the Bible that we almost always remember, and one old preacher of old said it. The devil can cite Scripture as well as any God-fearing preacher. So you better be careful who you're listening to when it comes to listening to someone speak of the Bible and they say something that in clear reading makes no sense. In clear reading says something totally different than what they're Uh, than what the Bible says. They're saying something that the Bible doesn't say. Richard Hayes, in his book, uh, The Moral Vision of the New Testament, says this, that the Bible has inexhaustible hermeneutical uh, potential. In other words, the Bible itself contains diverse points of view, diverse interpretation methods can yield diverse readings of any given text. In other words, Dear friend, you really can pick up the Bible and you can almost, with the Bible, make it say almost anything you want it to say. But that's not how we approach the Bible. 
that's being prejudiced. That's that first problem we talked about among those who would hear. We can't come to the Bible and say, what is it that I want? It's what does God say that is of important. It's, it's what God says that is what matters. And there's a three-pronged attack that's happening today as it applies to the teaching of this topic in the church today. There is the resistance of Scripture, where Scripture speaks against it. Uh, it's just simply resisted. It's just simply ignored. There's the rejection of the authority of Scripture. And then, uh, worst of all, is the revision of Scripture and the teaching of Scripture itself. And so, despite what revisionists or the rewarders of Scripture would have to say, the Bible clearly calls homosexuality S-I-N, sin. What does the Bible teach us on homosexuality uh, or same-sex marriage or marriage in general? Well, let me just give you a short list. Jesus, for example, gives us the proper view of marriage. One man, one woman, unto death do they part. God gives us his clear view of uh, this in the particular act. He calls it, and we've already read it, it is an abomination. God gives us his desire for creation it is for what is called natural design or complementarity. In other words, man and woman complement each other. They fit together like a puzzle. God has made man for a woman and woman for a man. And to go outside of that is to violate the natural design by which God has created man. And so the truth is the Bible does have a great deal to say on the subject of homosexuality. However, having said that, let me be clear, the Bible is not a book about homosexuality. Some people, they think that's all the Bible has anything to say about. That's all they'll ever talk about. The Bible is primarily a book on how holy God can make a way to dwell with unholy people. How God can redeem a fallen creation and a fallen creature such as man, and how we can be forgiven and be saved and have eternal life with him. But one of the topics that is lightly addressed in the Bible is this topic. Homosexuality, let me say, is not some special class of sin. It does not mean that one person is any more rebellious against God than another sinner would be rebellious against God. You can be just as rebellious against God and be guilty of the sin of gossip. You can be just as rebellious against God and, and, and be guilty uh, of the sin uh, of greed or hatred. Somehow, though, we have taken this sin and separated it, it as Christians and just said that it's the worst of all sins, that it's an unpardonable sin. And, dear friend, that's not what Scripture says. I read to you uh, what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 6. It very much is a sin that can be forgiven. But what I want you to understand is that it is, according to the Bible, in all the texts that speak about it, a sin. But it's more than that. Is it a problem? Yes. Homosexuality is a spiritual problem. Listen to what the Bible has to say over in Mark. Mark chapter uh, 7 and verses 20 uh, through 23. And he said, this is the words of Jesus... What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within 
out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, uh, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, Jesus says, and these things that come from within, they are the things that defile a person. Someone would say, well, shouldn't they be happy? Shouldn't someone that is born with an inclination uh, to, to love someone uh, of the same sex be as happy as someone who's born with uh, what we call a natural inclination to love someone of the opposite sex? Isn't it just right and isn't all love good? Dear friend, let me say something. We're all born with inclinations. We're all born with predispositions. I mean, I'm born with the love of donuts. I'm going to tell you, it's written in my genes. But I also know that if I violate God's word on donuts, and what's that, being a glutton, it's bad for me. You know, it's not just a sin, it's an unhealthy problem for me, right? We all have inclinations, we all have predispositions. And even though we're born with inclinations and predispositions, it does not never make that class or category of sin okay with God. It never gives us an excuse then to say, okay, that behavior is right. The question is this, will we live by faith or will we live by feelings? And God has called you and I to live by faith. So there are times in his word when he says, this is not what I want, this is not how you're to live, and it may go contrary to what you want or how you want to live, but the question is going to be, will you live by faith or will you live by your feelings? Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. So God says at the heart of every problem is the heart. And at the heart of the problem of homosexuality and same-sex union, it is a heart problem. And in verses 5 and 6, just earlier in, in, in Jeremiah 17, the word says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an inhabited salt land. The question is what? How will you live? Will you live like a shrub or will you live like a tree? Will you live by faith or will you live by feeling? Will you live a life that's blessed of God or will you live a life cursed of God? Will you live a life trusting in God or will you live a life trusting in man? If you live a life trusting in man's ways, you're going to wander through the desert. But if you live a life of faith in God, you will be like that tree planted by the rivers. Let me say, that has been the battle since the beginning of time. That has been a battle that Adam and Eve fought and every man, woman, boy, and girl has fought throughout all of history. How will we live? By faith or by feeling? Can I tell you that both in my experience as a pastor and in the personal research and in much discussion with other brothers in the ministry, 
that those who battle the same sex attraction are in very much a miserable group. They are very unhappy. Those that have given themselves over to it are very miserable. Let me share with you one story just from my research. A fellow by the name of Alan Chambers, his story is, is a fascinating story. It is not an easy read story. Alan Chambers uh, basically has struggled all of his life, and he's into his uh, late 50s now, I would think, uh, with same-sex attraction and, and actually lived in uh, same-sex uh, unions uh, earlier uh, in his life. And, and there for a while, he had left it and actually wrote a book called uh, My Exodus and actually started a, a uh, ministry uh, called the Exodus uh, Foundation. And, and, and he went around helping uh, people who struggled with the battle of same-sex addiction. And his, his books deal with the messiness of the same-sex attraction and sexuality from that viewpoint. And a lot of his books is his story. And he's written a new book now that's a, that is an extenuation of his old book, My Exodus. It's My Exodus uh, to Grace. And uh, basically, his book highlights that there's no easy answer for the battle of this sin problem. Now, I will say this. As I read his book, I, I think his theology has some problems about grace. Yes, there is grace of God in the fight. Yes, there is grace of God in his forgiveness. But no, there is no grace of God to be a friend to this sin and embrace it and say, okay, I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to be okay with who God made me. And that's kind of where he's come to. Now, he's actually gotten married and had some kids, but uh, after years of ministering and doing what he calls revision therapy he's back to now just saying well that's kind of who I am I can't deny it it's there and I'm just going to say the grace of God has allowed me to embrace this I don't believe that's right but there's one story out of his book that struck me uh, as rather significant and one of the things that they did in their 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 conference was this they always ask the question if you could take a magic pill today and wake up tomorrow and be a totally different person and not have this battle how many of you would take that magic pill and in this book he said in every session where he asked that question every person attended raised their hand what I think that highlights is this is that it is a hard battle for those who are in this battle just like any sin can be a hard battle, it can be a sin of addiction. But I want to say to you that this battle is not just a sin problem. It's a spiritual problem that's in the heart. And it's at the heart of it, it's how will you live, by faith or by feeling. But I want to say to you as the church today, homosexuality is a social problem. It's a faith problem, will we trust God? But... It's also a social problem in what it brings to life here on earth. I want to ask you a question this morning. Does God have a right to sanctify anything at all and to make it holy? I brought with me this morning my Bible that you gave me back in 2000 and 
1, January the 3rd. And uh, I've sort of semi-retired this Bible. Uh, I use it for marrying and burying now pretty much. That's, that's, that's the only time you see it. So one guy said that's bad news all the way around, isn't it, preacher? Uh, and, and occasionally I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll preach from it, but uh, to preserve it, I, 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 don't, I don't use it all that much. Hadley, come here. I want to ask you to do me a favor. You come up here and help me. I'd rather have you than your, your brothers. I'm going to give you this. Is, you see this? This is my Bible. Mm-hmm. Special to me. Special to the church. Be special to you, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Now, if you want to, you can throw it on the ground. You can stomp on it. You can tear it up. You can spit on it. You can do anything you want to do with that Bible. Mm-hmm. You want to? Mm-hmm. No? No. Why not? Because it's God's word. Mm-hmm. You see this word on there? What does that say? Holy. You know what that word means? I know it does. <laughs> I mean, holy means to be what? Separate, set apart, special. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't mistreat. Now, there's some people who would. But you wouldn't because in your heart of hearts, you believe that this Bible, being the word of God, is separate, it's holy, and it's special. Mm-hmm. Who calls it that? Who tells us it's that? Mm-hmm. God himself. So does God have a right to say that about his word? So let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't God have a right to say that about marriage? Who created marriage? God, Adam, and Eve. Man for a woman. So if God's got the right to call marriage, I mean, his Bible holy, then he has a right to say marriage is holy too, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Y'all give Hadley a hand. But that illustrates the fight. Does God have the right to say anything is sacred? And we believe he does. The church is sacred. Our bodies are sacred. We are the temple of God. The Bible is sacred. God created what? First, marriage. That's the first thing God ordained. You know the second thing God ordained? Government, believe it or not. And then he ordained the church. Those are the three things that God said civilization needed to really thrive. It needed marriage. It needed uh, uh, civil organization. And then it needs spiritual organization. And that's what God has given in this world and ordained. Now, there's a, 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 a thought today that nothing's sacred. I mean, you can burn the flag, you can spit on your country, you, you, nothing's holy. Now, that's, that's what's being taught today. But, dear friend, that's not with what God says. Now, listen, listen to what is said. We read one verse in Leviticus earlier. You remember we said, <clears throat> You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, and it's an abomination. Now, listen to what God says in Leviticus 18. <clears throat> If you go beyond that, if you break his holiness code, you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall a woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. Uh, It's a perversion. See, they were going beyond just the normal perversion. And by the way, you better believe that today that's a push as well. Go beyond just same-sex marriage and go to full perversion. And here's what God says. Do not make yourself unclean by any of those things for all. By all these, the nations, 
I am driving out before you who have become unclean. God says, Israel, look, I am punishing those that have done these things, and you are witnessing it. And the land became unclean. Not only did the people become unclean, the very land in which they lived on became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Dear friend, I want to tell you, the, the good old U.S. of A., if we, don't, if we don't start turning some things around, our very land itself is going to be ready to vomit out the citizens of this country. God has called marriage sacred. You read back in Genesis 19, and you can read the story where God destroyed two cities for this particular sin we're talking about today. And let me say that those that are pro-same-sex don't want to hear it, but that is why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Bible says social acceptance and social advocacy and social activism in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah brought about the judgment of God. Fire and brimstone fell out of heaven. And dear friend, if we in America do the same thing, God's going to judge us as he will any nation. Billy Graham used to say, if God doesn't judge us, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And I don't care what the revisionists say, you know, today they say the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was a sin of inhospitality. Let me just say about that, dear friend, God did not wipe out two cities full of people just because they were a little bit rude to some guests. That is about as stupid as I've ever heard. And I've heard that in seminary. In the 1990s, when I was at Southern, I had an ethics professor that stood and taught that baloney at a Southern Baptist seminary, and thank God they fired his rear end. That is not what the Bible says. And I don't care who stands to preach that mess. That is not it. Let me give you a history lesson. Greece was one of the most cultured nations in the world. If you visit Athens, you are impressed with the beauty and the simplicity and the intellectualism of the people. Greek empire reached its zenith about 300 years before Christ. The Parthenon built there in Athens was already in antiquity when Christ walked this earth. It was a beautiful city, a beautiful culture. But do you know why it fell? It fell in large part because they had given themselves over to homosexuality. And when they did, their empire began to die. Rome, truly one of the greatest empires this world has ever known, crumbled from within. You parallel their decline with sexual morals and, uh, of their leaders and their people, and you'll find that it coincides Fourteen of the Roman emperors were homosexual. Nero, probably the one that we know the best, was homosexual. And he led Rome to the graveyard of nations. There's an old saying, no man is an island. There's an old saying that says life doesn't happen in a vacuum. In other words, every life and decision has consequences for others. You can redefine marriage, but dear friend, it doesn't just affect the people in that marriage. It, it, it affects every man, woman, boy, and girl. For example, you can redefine the word red. Let's say the word red, the color red, the word for red. Let's just say that that word could mean any other color. Green, purple, pink, blue. And you might say, well, that's no big deal. If somebody wants to call that 
that word, uh, that color red, uh, green, well, that's not a big deal. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't affect me. Why not let, it, let them do what they want to do? Well, it doesn't make any big deal until all of a sudden you come up to a traffic light. And there it is. Is it red or is it green? I don't know about you, but I, I would like for everybody to kind of know that that traffic light, red means red, and that red means stop. It don't mean yelling. It don't mean green, and it don't mean purple. It's kind of like the story of two guys who were in a boat, and someone said, you know, we're always kind of like uh, uh, you know, people out fishing in a boat. We're all in that boat together up on the sea called uh, Life. Two guys in a boat, and they got in an argument. One guy said to the other guy, said, you just stay on your side, and you do your fishing over there, and I'll stay on my side, and I'll do my fishing over here. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. We'll all be fine together. All that's fine and well until one guy decides to start drilling a hole in his side of the boat. I'm going to tell you what's happening in redefining a marriage, dear friend. There's a hole being drilled in the foundation of what is right in society. Live and let live, some would say. That's a catchy phrase, but the reality is scary. Let me ask you this. How well do you like COVID-19? I don't know about you, but I kind of hate it. How did we get to where we are today with this, this doggone virus? I'll tell you how we got there, and I think the evidence is pretty clear. Somebody played around with something in the lab somewhere and did something they shouldn't have done, and it got out. Live and let live? No. It doesn't work out that well when all of a sudden the behavior of someone has consequences for the everyone. And so it's a, it's a social problem. So can we answer the question beyond a reasonable doubt? I think from Scripture we can say in at least three ways, yes, it is sin. Now the other two goals, real quickly. What's our response to friends, family, and even foes who believe in it? And third, do we understand the bigger battle being waged? I want to answer number three first, and we'll finish with number two. So number three, do we really understand the battle being waged against God? Scripture and the church as it relates to same-sex marriage and what is the bigger picture that we're not seeing? God is a God of order. Satan loves nothing than to throw a monkey wrench and unravel what God has done on earth. God is a God of order and he put marriage together. So how did he mess it up? Homosexuality. The way we interconnect with each other in an intimate way. If we get this wrong, dear friend, if the Bible is so wrong on homosexuality, how can you trust it on anything else? If the Bible has been wrong on this, how can you trust what God has to say about how you can be saved? If the church has been wrong for 2,000 years, and that's the argument, how can you trust anything the church would, would say to you or stand for? How can you trust anything? You see, the bigger battle is, can you really trust God? Is God really being honest with you? What's the first temptation? It was that. It's when Satan came to Eve and said, has God really said this, Eve? You couldn't eat of this tree. Did God really mean what he said? And, and what he said, was he really right about that? And he got Eve to question it. And she looked and she said, this fruit looks good. 
It looks like something I want. And she took a bite. And that's been the same old battle that Satan's been fighting with us ever since the beginning of time. There's a bigger picture here, folks, than just simply somebody doing what they want to do down the road that it doesn't affect us. Number two, what is our response as Christians and friends, family and even foes who live in this relationship who support it? I think that's the hard part. That's where the rubber hits the road. Let me say something. And I want to be clear. I want to be absolutely clear. And I've been hard on that, whether or not it's a sin. But I want to be just as hard on this. God loves the sexual immoral, and we should love them too. God loves them, and we should love them. God has shown his love for them, and we should show our love for them. God has shared his love for them, and we should share our love for them. How do we do that? How can we do that? I think one of the best examples that we have, we find over in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. You know the story of the woman caught in adultery? They went each of his own house, and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst of them. He said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, and now the law of Moses commands us, the holiness code commands us to stone her. So what do you say? And they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And we're told that Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as he continued, he asked him, and he stood and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones, they left first, and Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemn, is no one condemning you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and now listen to what he says. Go, and from now on, sin no more. How does Jesus respond he responds, let me say, with humility and not pride. He bends down. If anyone had a reason to stand tall, to stand proud, to stand holy, and to stand judgmental, it was Jesus. But Jesus knelt before her and the accusers. He dealt with it honestly and not pretense. He said, who here is not guilty of sin? As a church, we have to be honest about our sins. We have to be, listen, we have to be genuine about our wrongs and and let me say the church has been quick to point the finger at homosexuality and never say a word about other sins that exist in the congregation of the body of Christ and then Jesus gave hope and not punishment he said I'm not here to condemn you Jesus wasn't sent to condemn John 3 16 tells us for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in, and in that verse 17, he goes on to say, not come to condemn you, but to give eternal life. And Jesus is saying, I have hope for you, not punishment. But that hope 
requires that you repent, you go and sin no more. That is our response, I believe. Let me, in conclusion, give you two things. I'm, I like what Larry did last week when he gave two life applications. So let me give you two life applications real quickly. Number one, uh, that first application is for the hurting. Is there a cure? Yes, Jesus says there's a cure. John, uh, Paul tells us there's a cure in 1 Corinthians, that there are those who were guilty of this, who were washed by the blood. The blood of Christ can bring healing to any sin. How are we to care? We're to care like Jesus cared. His main concern was not to judge, but to, but to offer salvation and hope. How are we to comfort? We are to be accepting as Jesus is accepting, loving as Jesus is loving. We're to be a friend to sinners like Jesus was a friend to sinners. Our church is open. If you're homosexual and you're looking for an answer, if you're looking for uh, what it is to know God, dear friend, you are welcome here. We're not going to back away and say that this is a right thing. And you won't be allowed to, to be a member and live in that open sin uh, uh, unrepentant. But if you'll come to Christ, we'll love you. And even if you must battle all the rest of your life with the, with the struggle of it, we will be there to support you. That is our pledge. That is our commitment to you. Because that was Christ's commitment to us. We were all sinners, guilty before holy God. We should confront. We must hold Scripture up to our community. We must hold Scripture up as our testimony. And we must make Scripture the way we live daily. But we live it in, in, in mind of what Galatians 6, 1 says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in gentleness and keep watch on yourself lest you yourself be tempted. And finally, we must be careful not to conform. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, Later I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind and by the testing that you may discern what the will of God is that is good, acceptable, and perfect unto Him. That means every day we wake up and we seek to be transformed by the Word of God and be conformed to His image and not the image of this world. But let me give you a life application number two. What I say is our conviction. And I want to share with you my convictions. I do not do same-sex weddings. I think you would say that's probably obvious. I will also say I do not attend same-sex weddings. And I don't care if they are family. At some point, I would be asked to affirm it. Someone would want me to say, well, that was a beautiful service. Well, those were pretty flowers. And I do not want to be put in a situation where I would have to affirm something that I know that God does not affirm. I do not socialize with same-sex couples or individuals that are openly engaged and active in that behavior. That's different from being friendly from, with them. That's not to say I would be unfriendly to someone. But I'm not going to go to the movies. I'm not going to go out to eat with someone that's living in that behavior. And they're living in, in, in an unrepented way. It's in the same way that I'm also not going to go out to eat with someone that's going to sit there and drink it up and booze it up. I can be a friend of sinners, but I will not be a friend of sin. 
And I do not support anything that pushes a same-sex agenda. Someone might say, well, the preacher, you're getting political now. Well, let me tell you something. Get over yourself. Too many Christians are more concerned about being a Republican or a Democrat or some kind of political crap that they don't realize that they are gods. You, you, when you come to Christ, you die to yourself. You're no longer you. you are, you've been bought with a price. And dear friend, believe it or not, there are some political things that have biblical implications. And if you're going to run on a platform, and if you're going to be a person that supports something that God says is sin and wrong and sending people to hell, don't you expect me to give you one red dime or one bit of my energy to help you do anything in winning any kind of election. And it's time, sinners, stand up. Speak up. Because I'm going to tell you something, dear friend. Whether you want to admit it or not, they're coming for you. And the sermons such as this here will be shut down before long if you don't start getting with God on the program. Freedom is a privilege that's granted and appreciated. And finally, I tried to be both light and salt for Jesus. Because one day I know Jesus is going to ask me about how I did. He's going to ask me about my own behavior and how I lived out my faith for him. So there you have it. There's the big topic. But the question isn't, there you have it, but does God have you? And are you where you need to be as it relates to this fight today in the kingdom of God? Heavenly Father, it is a trying and a challenging day, but it's not any different a day than it's ever been. There was a day of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a day where, Lord, Abraham prayed over those cities and, and, and sought out righteous, but none could be found. There was a day, Lord, of Romans chapter 1, when Paul was writing to that, that church in Rome that was struggling with these things. There's a day and there's an age of Corinthians that your word dealt with. So our day is not all that different. Sin has been around since the beginning with Adam and Eve. And the fight of faith versus feelings has been there. Lord, today we are just joining the fight. We are coming alongside of your word and we're standing with you. And Lord, we want, we want more than anything else for those that are struggling in this life behavior, this, this issue, to know that we actually stand with them. We do stand with them. We, we pray for them. We, we, we extend to them the hope of salvation, the hope of forgiveness. Lord, I, I know that today we, we struggle with that question, you know, shouldn't everyone just get to be happy? But God, we, we've been given a clear message to, to tell everyone. It's, 
Happiness is great, but you're more concerned with our holiness. It's holiness that gets us into eternity. Lord, it's not happiness. There's lots of things that, that we would be happy doing, but it just don't fit with your word. There's lots of things that we want selfishly, but Lord, you tell us those things are wrong. And so when we come to you, Jesus, we have to fully embrace all that, it, that you say and require for us to have faith in you. Lord, we also know that that struggle lives in us, even after we're saved. Paul, who had the harshest words to say, said that for himself there in Romans 8, the sin that he should not do is the one that he does, and the, one that he ought, uh, the good thing he ought to do, he doesn't do. That the old flesh within him is always a battle. Now, we don't know what Paul's sin was, but we know that he struggled with that sin of the flesh, that, that thing that pulls at us, that keeps us from you. And Lord, we are that woman that has been thrown at your feet and we, we look to you and we see, Lord, your response. And as your church, we want to be the, that, that same respondent. Whatever decision needs to be made today, God, whatever commitment needs to be made, now's the time that we do it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing the Lord's spoken. You come. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you and we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.